Hey, L.A. Lloyd here. Boy, I tell you, man, we're going to take a little trip down memory lane today for sure. Uh, dig into the archives, a 20-year anniversary of an album called Inertia. Going to talk to Scott Stevens from the Exes, who's co-hosting today. It has been a long time, but believe me, your name has popped up on the show so many different times, which we'll get into in just a little bit. But, dude, uh, it's great to see your face again. Been a long time. Great to see you as well, Lloyd, man. It's been, it feels like a, a lifetime ago. Uh, I'm so glad to see you're still in it like me and... I guess we're lifers, man. Where this is, this is where this is it, man. This is it right here for sure. This is it for me. <laughs> well, let me kind of bring our listeners up to speed. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Scott reached out to me uh, via email, and I'm going to quote him here. He said, "It's been 16 years, and last week I released a new song to commemorate the 20th anniversary of Inertia, our major label debut, and the song is called Spirits High." Now, I don't really want to get into the song so much right now. We'll definitely delve into that to a little bit later on, but. Um, sure. You know, how long has this song been laying around? Was it something that you had, you reworked, or you just got reinvigorated and and kind of brought something from that time frame into the uh, present? Well, this thing started kicking around um, like a lot of songs of this time um, in 2020, a pandemic. Uh, we were pretty deep in the pandemic. I think this is probably around September is my earliest recollection of when I was just sitting, I think it was morning. I, I had my my coffee as I normally do. Uh, I get up, I pick up the guitar. I have this habit of trying to do at least 15 minutes uh, to 30 minutes tops of just like whatever hits me. And then I record it on my phone and I and I come and visit it, you know, back, you know, in a week or something. And that chord progression that opens the song uh, was one of those mornings and I thought it was kind of odd because it really felt like a single that we had had uh, back in the day called ugly and right. it really had the same kind of feel different chords but the same kind of strumming pattern and and I just kind of remember thinking like hmm that's that's oddly nostalgic <laughs> and I, I wonder like what what does this mean because it doesn't sound like it's for anybody as I'm I'm always trying to write for others uh, and I just kind of put it away and, and revisited it on my phone. And then I would, oddly enough, it just kept coming back. So it's literally a two and a half year process mm. of me just kind of, it was my diary song, kind of. It wasn't really meant to ever come out. It was more of a coping mechanism for the ups and downs that I was going through, like most people through, through COVID and, and the pandemic. I just, uh, as it started to develop, I started to, I think, make peace with, the idea that I could maybe share this somehow, but I didn't even know what that meant. And it was last January that, you know, I realized I was like, wow, it's going to be Inertia's 20th anniversary next year. Wouldn't it be great if we had a new song? And, and I reached out to the guys uh, in the band and nobody really, it, everybody has kind of moved on Lloyd from like the, they didn't really want to rehash the past or, right. and I said, I got this song that's kind of feels like, us circa 0405 yeah and i really think that the you know the fans that were around at that time they would really probably appreciate this because it really feels nostalgic but somehow it kind of feels new and and i noticed that the spotify numbers for whatever reason were starting to grow and i didn't know why this was because we hadn't done anything where we're way before any of that stuff yeah and they started going and so when I talked to them and everybody was like, yeah, maybe, you know, I don't know, you know, I'm really, um, you know, pass. <laughs> I, put, I, I put it in a, in a drawer for another two months. And I think it was around 
April or May that I last year that I, I decided like, you know what, I'm going to finish it. And I'm just going to put everybody's spirit not to put a pun on it too much, but like uh, into this thing. And let's just see what happens. And by August, I was done. Wow. And, and it felt great. And as I said, the, the Spotify numbers now were, were like triple what they were even in January. And I just felt like, okay, you know, uh, there, there must be some kind of a need for this. This is just a fun reunion type of idea. Let's have, let's walk down memory lane, as you said, some nostalgic, you know, things. And I decided to put it out uh, in January, you know, uh, about two weeks after inertia, which was January 7th uh, to commemorate that. And, and uh, it just blew me away. Like the, people loved it and i was hearing from germany and i was hearing from you <laughs> wow. know spain and italy and because they'd all had it like you know hours before we got it and uh it i just i i got overwhelmed i didn't realize you know that it i mean it i think it got over ten thousand spotify plays the first like six hours holy cow you know? so there there was like it was just they were going for it you know like 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 I don't know. Like it was, it was good bait, I guess, or something. Well, for our, our younger listeners, you know, that uh, may not be so acclimated of, of the X's. Uh, and like I said, it's a little bit of a trip down memory lane, but uh, uh, the band, you know, caught the eye of Matt Serletic, who I had met back in the 90s uh, through Jason Flom at South by Southwest. And they'd given me a tape of this little band called Matchbox 20 back at the time. I yes. was one of the first stations in the country to start playing it. You know, that band blows up. And then, of course, uh, Matt, uh, really, you caught their eye with uh, the music you were doing with the XE. So maybe go back to that very first, you know, talks you had with Matt and, and what he saw in the XEs that, you know, eventually got you guys signed to Virgin. You know, that's a great question, Lloyd, because I was actually thinking about that two days ago. And I wow. remember, like, as I come out of sleep every night, I kind of lay in bed for about a half an hour. And I just try to think about, like, what am I going to do today? What is, you know, that's like, like my slow get out of bed meditation. The, these are the tasks of the day. And something came over uh, through my mind that was, I just remembered that Matt Serletic had flown in to see us. We played this club that I don't think exists anymore called the Dragonfly okay. in LA. And he didn't like the show. <laughs> <laughs> what a great way to start, right? He didn't like it. And, 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 um, I had got wind that he was, you know, that he had to go and that he was leaving. And I remember I just put my guitar down and I ran out of the club and I went out the side door and I looked left and I looked right and he was walking up the street and I ran after him. <laughs> you know, it probably made him a little uncomfortable because I was just like, hey, man, it wasn't really the best show because we had we had just done some touring. I think this was our last stop. So we, and I think we were a little bit burnt out. Um, and we played a, co a couple a, a cover that he didn't really prefer. I think it was EMF's uh, Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Oh, that sucked. Um, and so I just kind of I just I just went at him and said, you, you got to give us another chance. We've just finished a brand new song. I think you're going to love it. I, I need to send it to you. And then let's please talk after you hear it. And that was my goddess. And uh, we had the demo and I sent it in and literally like two or two or three days later, if, I, if memory serves, he, he called me and he's like, okay, this is, this is a real step for the group. You know, our first, like uh, on ultimatum, our first like uh, EP ish first nine song record that we did, I, that caught his attention a little bit because we were getting a little bit of radio love and we were out there and we were a brand new band, 
but it was him not liking that show, me me cornering him on the street and sending that My Goddess demo that changed it all. Yeah. And that's when the meeting started. And the next thing I know, David and I were flown to Nashville and we were at East Iris Studios and he put us up there for like a month. Wow. And we started writing and writing and writing. And we wrote like a lot of the songs that are on the Inertia record. We wrote Creeper Kamikaze and we wrote Inertia and Genius and um, finishing up My Goddess. Uh, you know, a big portion of the record was done in that time. And uh, that's when I got my my first real taste of like Nashville recording, writing uh, thing. Although we didn't really do any co-writes. we did, It was just pretty much David and I and, and, and Matt chimed in on certain things. But I was going to tell you, I mean, best of my memory, My Goddess, it was somewhere top 10-ish, you know, 11, 10, yeah. 9, somewhere in that range on the Rock 30. I mean, you, you were on a, a David Letterman. You did The Late Show. You got yep. signed to The Deal. Uh, it looks like, you know, from the outside looking in, things were perfect. I mean, was it? It Was this the spark that uh, kept you going and you were like, man, this is exactly what we wanted? Or was it not so much uh, what it was appearing from the outside? No, it was. It, it appeared as it, as it was. Uh, I mean, look, there's always a struggle. Touring is a little bit of a, as I'm sure you know, you've been in the business a long time. It's a grind and, and, it's, and it's very hard. I mean, there's a... You know, you, you go to see a show, you go to see a band, you're paying for a ticket, you want to see the show, you love their music and da 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 And then, you know, there's they, they play for an hour, hour and a half, or maybe for some bands, two hours. And then the grind of the next show uh, is, is pretty grueling. And, uh, you know, show business is not as, as pretty as, as it's made out to be. Right. But, yes, things uh, things were going extremely well and they were going extremely fast. I remember one of the pivotal moments was we played the Mercury Lounge in New York okay. and we were opening for 30 Seconds to Mars. Jared's band had their very first record. We were um we were about to do a tour with them, but this was the first kind of introduction and you know, we played the Mercury Lounge and I thought we did so bad that I stormed off this, I put my stuff away and I, and I left and I went up to Katz's Deli up the street and I didn't tell anybody where I was going. And I sat up there brooding and pouting for like an hour and came back and Matt Serletic was at the back wow. door where you, where you put your gear, right? <laughs> and he had this look on his face, dude, of like, where the hell have you been? Tom Calderon was just here and he watched the show from MTV and he (laughs) wanted to meet you and he really likes your band. And he's just like giving it to me. All of a sudden, I think I'm just turning white. Like, oh my God, my own baby (laughs) crap is like my own, "Eh, oh me, I didn't do a good show, you know, is, is getting the best of me. And then he pauses and he smiles and I go, what? And he goes, well, it must have worked because he thinks you're a rock star now. You got to go to the you got to go to the MTV offices tomorrow to make up for for you not being here. But he loves the band, and we went in and met him, and it was smiles and hugs, and he put us on rotation on Goddess like that. Wow. It was like so surreal, and we were doing photo shoots, and we were talking to the VJs, and it was uh, it was nuts, man. Wow. It, it really went fast. Well, the, the first time I ever heard the name Nick Raskalinitz was uh, through my, my good friends there in 10 years. Uh, you know, they're from the Knoxville area as well. I love those guys. Through the years, other bands like Corey Taylor, 10 Years, Hailstorm, Corn, Dave Grohl, a lot of people have mentioned Nick. Uh, and, you know, kind of 
you were one of the first bands that had a chance to work with him, you know, kind of early in his career as well. Uh, did the anything about him as a producer click with you then as an artist leading you to kind of where you are today? Or was that completely not even something you even thought about the first time you worked with Nick? I don't think I thought about ever switching roles with where Nick was. The one thing that I did notice with Nick, um, and look, this is much to Matt, Matt Serletic's, uh, you know, abilities. I don't know. I mean, look, I had good ideas for production. Idea. I didn't know how to do anything though. I didn't know like what knobs turn what to get this thing to happen that's in my head. That got exercised a little bit more when I was working with Nick. And he, he really let me have some reign about like, how the guitar sounded or the the reverb on the vocal or the layering of the vocal you know he just wanted whatever we what we liked as a band what felt organic and he would step in if he felt like it was going off the rails and he would always you know it needs to be cut right here you have these you know these producer chops of like how to arrange a song and it always was pretty beneficial i mean he always was pretty spot on so i learned a lot of that stuff from him um as well the great thing about him, and here's where we're similar, he is an eternal fan of music, and so am I. He acted like he was a, a member of the group when we were tracking. He would get in my face and he'd play air drums and, and do the guitar, air guitar lick and, you know, pump you up. He's a cheerleader and he still does that to this day. I feel like I've come full circle with him because I got to produce the new Hailstorm record with him you know, us working together and just smiling and just remembering where where I've come from and where he came from. And now we're working with this great band and this singer that, you know, is can sing anything. And uh, it, it was it was amazing. You know, Liz, yeah, Lizzie can sing the phone book. So. <laughs> that she can. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, um, you know, as as the X's were kind of winding down, something I learned, um, I believe the final show was 2010. But now, for the listeners going like, oh, man, it must have really sucked. Poor guy's last show. Well, they, you, from what I read, you were in Russia. You were playing with Flyleaf. You played in front of 61,000 people like at an MTV award show. So, I mean, dude, if you had to go out, what a way to go. But how in the hell did you get there as <laughs> your final show, man? I love that question because I don't know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how we got there. Right. Boy. I mean, that's I such know. a weird, random thing, man. Here's what I remember, and I don't think I've told this story. Somebody called and he had this he had this name that didn't sound believable. Right. And I wish I wish I could remember what his name was. And I was at home, I was upstairs and the phone rang. He goes, Is this da -da -da from the XEs? And I was like, Yeah. And he's like, My name is the name that I can't remember. Um, I have a, a promoter in Russia that wants to pay you to come to play this thing called the Muse TV Awards. It's like an MTV Awards. Okay. Um, and they want to pay you hundred thousand dollars wow to come and play i was like you're right click <laughs> and i literally hung up on him this is a prank call the phone rings again it's the same guy he goes look he goes look I, I don't really have time for this and i remember this part he goes is richard bishop your manager still and i said no he he was the manager of the of the band um you know for the head for the door record john greenberg is is currently managing me he goes like i know john i'm gonna call john so he hangs up with me 10 minutes later the phone rings and it's john and john's like this is a legit offer i think <laughs> i'm gonna do some more research but they want you to go to russia and yeah. they want you to play four songs and they're gonna pay for all your travel in your hotel and you're gonna go for a week and they're gonna pay you 100 grand and i wow. was like done <laughs> let's go <laughs> and um we get there 
And, you know, it's only in Pisky Stadium, which is enormous. I think it holds 80,000. I, I could be wrong, but it's, it's a pretty big. We go inside, you know, we get there and, you know, the state, the stage is as big as, as the Grammys or something. Uh, and there are flames and moving creatures. <laughs> and the logo for the X's is like 20 feet tall. Wow. Made out of steel. That's and, amazing. And, it's it's huge, man, and I couldn't believe what what we had walked into. I mean, we had bodyguards, and we had a car service, and we were and everywhere we went, and there was a private tour of the Kremlin, and and it was it was just like you couldn't have figured out that ending for this band after all that time. You couldn't have wrote that down, you know. Nobody could have scripted that. So it was really a a, a, a wonderful way to go out we did get scaled down from four to two so we still we made a hundred grand for playing two songs wow but as the music business and like i said earlier nothing's as glamorous as it seems we were on a riser that was below the floor and so we were we had all of our amps and we were testing the mics and nothing was working and up comes the stage and i'm like here we go this is the same old crap that always happens something's not working and then all of a sudden i i get the i get the kick drum in my ear and i can hear the snare then i can hear my vocal and i can hear my guitar but my guitar player's rig isn't working right and here we are we're coming up through the floor and here come the flames and and all of a sudden i just remember my my guitar player chris just reaches over and he screams at his rig screaming blood red in the face and all of a sudden it goes and it comes on and you know the curtain opens and we go that is insane that sounds like the final episode of seinfeld or something like that. it was that big you know and i'm not exaggerating this at all this is 100 the truth of how it went down two 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 songs and it was amazing and uh I'll never forget it. So it was a great way to go out. Well, you know, before that happened, there was definitely two big tours that I did want to ask you. Maybe you can uh, talk about uh, briefly. It was uh, Velvet Revolver's first arena tour. I think I actually might have seen that uh, first tour. And also uh, the Motley Crue Carnival of Sins tour. I mean, was was that a good experience for you? Because, I mean, obviously there is some big-ass egos on that tour, man. I mean, if you ever have front men that's got big egos back in the day, I mean, that that's two of the biggest. So how were those tours for you? Those tours were amazing. Um, we were so honored. I remember we had landed, I think um, we had landed in Pennsylvania for some shows when we got the, when we got the call from Richard that uh, Nikki had picked us for the Carnival of Sins tour. And I just was like, okay, it's not completely our audience, you know, but this is unbelievable because I, I mean, I, I, I grew up on Motley. Right. So it was like, it was this, this is too good to, you know, be true. And, and we went out with them, I think for like maybe four weeks. Yeah. I think like, yeah, a full month. And, um, it was, it was remarkable, Lloyd. It really was, uh, you know, it's the first time we ever did a fully catered tour. We had our bus, we were getting paid well. Um, I got to play my dream place of all places, which was Red Rocks, because oh, I grew man. up in Colorado. And, um, you know, it was a Saturday and everybody I ever went to school with showed up and all my family members. And that's just a storybook thing that you, you know, you hope that fairy tale happens. And, and it did. Um, and I, I really have to thank Nikki for believing in us. And, you know, that that also, as we can probably transition whenever you want, but that's also where I got my start of, of becoming a writer um, for other bands was was on that tour. Wow. Because okay. I was writing with Nikki and Tommy for I was writing with Nikki for 6 a.m. Right, right. 
his side project right that right was ready to happen i was supposed to be a singer um on that they were gonna have multiple uh you know people doing it and so uh you know that that tour was i mean look it, it wasn't no show was ever easy but it was pretty perfect and we really had the time of our life on it and got to see the crazy motley debauchery that is very very real um things that we probably can't really talk about here but your, your imagination is is correct and then yeah when we went on tour with velvet revolver uh there again was i never really got to sit down and talk with scott i saw him usually every day for sound check or whatever but um he he really he really kept to himself and he had people with him um i monitoring and watching him always so his life was very different i did get to hang out with duff quite a bit and slash a few times and they were both just amazing and it was great to re, uh, to meet you know and hang out with icons uh such as them uh, and they always treated us really good you know we got great sound checks we had ample stage room um they really liked us we really became good friends with matt sorum uh, he loved to come on the bus and drink tequila with us. Just read his book, and man, I loved that book. I felt like I'd lived part of that book myself. You know, it was just so because it just really was written my entire time of getting out of college, going through rock and roll, and he just he just laid it out there so well. So I, I agree with you on Matt. Didn't mean to interrupt you there, but I, I just oh, thought no, his book was fine. amazing, man. Yeah, he was always really great. Come on the bus, where are the X's? Let's have some tequila <laughs> shots. You know, um, well, yeah, so he, the thing that I really am, am learning here from you today. Scott is, you know, obviously you've had a, a great career and, you know, some ups, some downs, but it seems like the people who have crossed your path have definitely kind of just uh, created that road to where you're at today, man. I mean, so, you know, people say things happen for a reason. I mean, if there was ever a storybook to, to show that, I mean, it's exactly what you've been telling today. Yeah. I, you know, it's, we don't really ever realize, uh, I think what's happening to us as the years go by until, of course, the, the cliche of hindsight, right? You start to see, you know, these, uh, these things that are like, they're like strangers in a crowd passing you and they're one moment colliding into the next. And, and as you know, as you, uh, as you live your life, and you look back, it just all starts to make sense in some um ironic kind of crazy way you know because it doesn't seem that way as you're going through it and then and there and there there it is you know and yes this path led to here and this meeting this person this song led me to this artist and my my career has is very much uh, been that well let me let me set up this one it's, it's a little bit of a setup on this one but uh july 25th of 2016 i get a call uh, and they say, hey, Steven Tyler's in town. Uh, he asked who was the rock radio station. We said KLBJ, L.A. Lloyd. And uh, they were like, hey, Steven's coming up. He's doing this country thing, you know, um, that he did uh, with Scott Borchetta and your partner in crime, Marty there, Marty Fredrickson. Yeah. And so Steven said, hey, I want to come up and, and come to the station. I was like, when does Steven Tyler ever come to a radio station to do an interview anymore? So I was overwhelmed and very pleased. Not only did Steven come in, but he came in with the entire band, uh, the Loving Mary band. I think it was like eight or nine members in this band. And Marty being one of those, Marty Fredrickson. And yeah. when I talked to Marty, I said, man, I said, I do so many interviews and they talk about you and Scott. And I swear to you, dude, I don't know why I had a brain fart. I never put Scott Stevens, the Xs with Scott Stevens and Marty Fredrickson. I mean, these, these two <laughs> names are brought up together all the time. But for some reason, I, I just never put the two together until 
kind of recently with Lizzie and Chris and, and Brent from Shinedown and all those. I, was, I just didn't put it together after all these years, but I know that's a big setup for Marty. But tell me about you and Marty and, and where that all really has just made a big life changer for you. Okay, so I met Marty because of um, a band that he was working with at the time. They were called Still Standing. Okay. And Johnny and Justin, they were the guitar player um, um, and bass player brother. They were a, a, tr- a trio. And I met them at a Super Bowl party. And uh, they liked my band, the XEs and, and whatnot. And they said, yeah, we're working with this guy, Marty Fredericks, and he's doing our record. You should come down and do some some rights with us. So I was like, yeah, I mean, if Marty's good with that. And so basically he kind of put me through writing boot camp. Okay. <laughs> and because, you know, he needed to do some other things, but he didn't tell me this. And basically he locked me in this studio in the basement for two days with these guys who were always at each other's throats, constantly fighting. And after two days, I realized, I was like, Marty tricked me. He, he needed <laughs> to get out of here because this is what he's dealing with five days a week. Right. You know, I got to learn Pro Tools a little bit and I started you know but I'd already been learning it kind of my you know myself but I, I learned a lot there he liked the way that I worked with bands and he liked the way that I worked on songs and he started calling me mini me and mm-hmm. uh you know one thing led to another and I was trying to um I was trying to get out of my exes like publishing deal and into a writer deal and my my publisher um uh, at that time said look you've got a year left you know, can you even write stuff that's outside of rock? And I said, well, I play a little piano and I can write ballads. And so I worked on something to, to show to him and I Marty helped me finish it. And uh, when when I brought when I brought it to Greg Souders, he was like, OK, I like it. Let, let me see if I can get it cut. And he, he didn't. But that that whole that whole experiment, I think, showed Marty that I had another side to me and that I did like to write for others. And, you know, he was the first one to um, give me a real shot. And he brought me in on David Cook uh, from American Idol. Right. And we wrote a song that made his record. Uh, It wasn't a single, but it made the record. And that got my publisher's attention to the point where, okay, he he has now a song on 6 a.m. And he has this David Cook cut. Mm -hmm. We need to get him started with some rights. And... So without Marty, like that, you know, the, the next few scenarios that happened to help even get me further, uh, but that wouldn't have happened without Marty, you know, kind of taking me under his wing and showing me the ropes and kind of throwing me in that pit of fire between <laughs> Justin and Johnny. Uh, you know, it was, a, it was, I would have never expected it to be like that, but one thing, as we just talked about, led to another. And I don't know if you want me to get into how I got into like meeting Lizzie and all that. Yet. Well, we'll get into that in just a second. Uh, but, you know, kind of uh, a segue out of uh, where you were talking about the early part, finally getting a few rights on some records, uh, is is Tyler Connolly from Theory of a Dead Man. Now, Tyler first came on the Rock 30 in 2002. He's been on the show 16 times. We've uh, developed a really great relationship. But again, he was another artist that was kind of very instrumental uh, with you, you know, kind of as you're starting to get in this new uh, chapter of your career, right? Absolutely is. And it's funny. I talked to him this morning. (laughs) He sent me a text with with my song playing, he's like, I really like this song. I mean, oh. that was at nine o'clock this morning. Wow, it's just it's weird how he's back in my life again. Right, and uh, yeah. So basically, that that moment of when that David Cook thing happened and that six a.m. cut had happened, I was at a BMI party. I ran into Tyler 
And and he was like, hey, I've, I've heard you've been doing some co-writing. I heard you're getting some cuts. Let's write, man. We, you know, because he and I toured together for many months. Right. I was like, okay. And I went over to his house and I have this chorus and it kind of, I have half this chorus and it was this song called Head Above Water. Okay. We finished it. And about, I think maybe two weeks later, they had recorded it. He called me and said, you're not going to believe this, but this song is going into the trailer campaign for Dark of the Moon, the Transformers movie. Yeah, right. And, and I was like, what? And he's like, yeah. And he made a joke. Haha, you're making money already. That song getting in that trailer caused somebody else to, to call me. And that was Pete Gambard from Atlantic Records. And he had heard that ballad. And he said, I need a ballad for this artist that I'm working with. Her name is Lizzie Hale. Have you heard of her? And I said, yeah, Marty Fredrickson, who I work with, has written with her and, and suggested that I should try to write with her. And he's like, we're, we've been doing a lot of co-writing. We're at the end of this record's you know, writing cycle. We got to start making this album. Would you be interested in writing with her? And I was like, yes, absolutely. So she comes in. We get to know each other. First time hanging out. And uh, I guess I'm song number 53. This is the 53rd session that she's what? had to do. So she's pretty done, you know, by this yeah. point. But she's very gracious and, and, and lively and, and willing to try anything. And I said, well, Pete wants us to write this ballad like Head Above Water for your record. And I said, sadly, I just I just don't have a ballad for us to work on right now. I go, but I do have this song, this title, and I have this song that's unfinished called I Miss the Misery. What do you think? And I kind of played her like the, the work tape. I showed it to Lizzie and we worked on the lyrics, wrote a bridge, you know, moved some things around, tried the key here, tried it this, you know, this way. And when we were done, I mean, I thought it was straight fire. I was just like, this is, sounds like a single. And I turned it into Howard Benson, turned it into Pete, and everybody loved it. And the rest is history. I think it's, you know, one of their biggest songs. Yes, it is. And it's like, it was the first time I met her. And then she came back and, um, and we hatched her alter ego together right in this room, <laughs> which was our second song was Miss Hyde. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that was, uh, it was a great way to start our writing collaboration uh, that would, you know, that I had no idea would take me 25 songs deep with her, you know, by now, something like that. It's I insane. Mean, I mean, it yeah. really is. Um, so what I want to do on this next question, you don't have to go very in depth, but I'm going to give you about five, six artists that, you know, have had a great history on the Rock 30. And maybe just, you know, give me a little bit of your feelings, adjectives, what, whatever you want to say to describe the, the working uh, relationship you have. And, and we'll start with Lizzie. I mean, you're Lizzie and Hailstorm and Joe, the whole band, RJ, everybody's great in the band. Just give me a little bit of, uh, describe your, your working relationship with them. It's, it's pure, you know, what it is, it's pure. It's open. Mm -hmm. It's honest. We, we aren't afraid to suck, <laughs> to throw out bad ideas. Right. Um, there, there really is no bad idea when I'm working with Lizzie or Joe or even RJ or, or whatever it is. We, we try everything. And it, because of that, I think we win because we, if, you're, if you're being honest with each other, what's coming through those speakers is the truth. That's so right. yeah, I couldn't ask for a better collaboration than, than, than with that band. It's amazing. Brent Smith and Shinedown. One of the most talented guys I've ever worked with. Um, vocals, man. He is a focused person, boy, and he's got vocals like unbelievable. Um, he's a gift. Like he, I always say this about Brent. He's kind of like an opera singer. He doesn't have a lot of air. He has nothing but pure tone. Right. So even when he talks, it's got power. 
uh, because like an opera singer, why they can do what they do is they don't have a lot of air. It's all tone. And, and I equate him to kind of being that way in the, in the technical mm-hmm. way of what he does and why he's probably able to do it and project the way he is. Um, he's a brilliant lyricist. He can really collaborate well. I came in with the idea for How Did You Love? It was my title, and I kind of had parts of the chorus, and he just got excited and rolled his sleeves up with me, and we just got busy <laughs> on that thing. And that we that song just wrote itself in about a day and a half, and I remember we were just both like, we got a little choked up wow. about what that song was saying, and uh, we knew it was special. We knew it was special. Next one, a guy I've known since 1996. I've seen him in many incarnations. I think lately he's more grounded than I've ever seen him. Uh, Scott Staff. I love Scott. Scott is he is a a man on a, on a mission. I just finished his new record. Um, we're actually mixing it starting tomorrow. Okay. Um, Marty and I produced it. Um, we co-wrote a big chunk of the record with the three of us. I think there might be, Scott might've done a couple of rights with like Kevin Thrasher and a couple of the guys on the outside. Um, Scott is, he's got a gentle heart and a gentle soul. And, 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 you know, if you've seen him, he lives and breathes it, man. Yeah. Uh, he really is passionate about what he does. He can be difficult only in the fact of not difficult, like, uh, like, uh, combative, it's just difficult and what, what he really wants to say. Right. And look, I mean, what I was that way too, Lloyd, when I was making records all the time. It's you got to know how you, you got to be able to say it and believe it. Right. Otherwise nobody does. That's exactly <laughs> you know, right. And, and you got to live it. So um, that, that's always the quest when you're songwriting is, does it, does it, does it reflect from inside? Because that's the only way that we can really respond to it. Next one. Super sweetheart. Chris Daughtry. Love Chris. Uh, did that last record with him. We've just started the new record. We have three three new songs that are bangers. They're amazing. Um, he uh, he is very much kind of cut from the same cloth as Brent. They are very focused individuals. They know exactly what they want. They know what they like and what they don't like. Right. Um, very talented singer as well. Um, takes his takes his craft very seriously. Um, I love working with him. I I was a fan of his when he was on Idol. Um, I remember one day I, I, I went to this songwriting thing that happened every Friday night at a bar in, in Los Angeles, Molly Malone's pub. That's what it was. And he got up and sang and then he had to go to the bathroom and I had to go to the bathroom. And I remember I was like, here I am peeing next to Chris Daughtry. And he doesn't even know who I am. And now I'm, and then I think back and I'm like, now I'm producing his records. <laughs> See, that's another one of those milestones I'm telling you about along the way. Even if it's a pee, man, sometimes it may help out down the road. He's literally in this right next to me. And I look at him, he looks at me, he goes, hey. And I go, hey. And I mean, it was, that's all that was said. And he goes, washes his hands and goes out. And so do I. And I just, re- because I remember thinking that he was unobtainable when I became a writer. I had to get to write songs with him seemed like impossible for a guy who hasn't had any cuts on records or or only a couple so it's it's amazing where it's ended up and and we're really great friends well uh, a song now in the top five from chris and lizzie uh, and chris was my first guest uh, for 2023 and he had just put that out i mean i just heard i didn't at the time they didn't even know if this was going to be a single or not, but I'd caught wind of it, and I, I hit up his manager. I said, dude, well, Chris, jump on a Zoom, and let's talk about it. And, of course, uh, first thing he says, you know, is like, look, man, he was like, at the end of the day, you know, I, I've always wanted to work with Lizzie. She's already worked with Marty and Scott, 
And basically, I said, so what was it like? He was like, dude, it was like a family reunion, all pros in the studio, and we just went in there and got it done. I mean, so how do you feel about, you know, doing a cover with Chris Daughtry and Lizzie Hale, for God's sake, that's, you know, probably going to be just as big of a hit now as it was uh, when Journey did it, you know? Or maybe bigger. Maybe bigger. That's one of those lucky, unbelievable moments. It was Chris's idea. Um, you got to give him credit for that because I think, well, it was in Stranger Things, but it was only in there for a little bit. And he grabbed onto that and he called me and he said, look, I want to do, I want to do separate ways by journey. And I was like, well, yeah, dude, I mean, you're the artist. I'm going to be, I'm your producer. I'll be, I'll tell you if I don't like something, but that sounds like a pretty cool idea. And he's like, we could do it heavy. You know? And I was like, okay. And he goes, I, do you think I want to do it with Lizzie Hale? Do you think, do you think you could call her? And I was like, no, <laughs> I'm not going to call her. <laughs> you call her it'll right. be better you you want to do the song so uh he calls her and she wants to do it it's her go-to karaoke song i didn't know that and basically uh he calls me and goes she she's in we started building this song we got him in the studio it was so great to be you know i hadn't seen lizzie since we had finished the back from the dead record uh, marty and i uh, daughtry and we just started i had a basic track that i had worked up program drums everything just to kind of like have something to sing to. We cut all the vocals, brought it back to LA, and then we kind of ran out of time. The most amazing kind of crazy weird thing happened and that was I got a call from John Linton, which is Daughtry's manager and said, DSP upload for this is like December 9th. And I was like, that's four days away. He's like, can we get the song done? I was like, no, I, I don't know how. I mean, I can't finish it in four days plus mix. I mean, it's impossible. Right. I think a few hours went by and we, hatched another plan okay everybody's gonna do this thing remote (laughs) and everybody started cutting tracks and sending them to me and i was in here in the studio and marty was comping vocals and you know making sure everything was sounding good there sending me stuff and i put it all together in this room wow we got it done so it was you know technology helped make that thing happen. Otherwise, we wouldn't have got that song out. Right. To close it out, you know, we're kind of coming full circle here back to Spirits High. I mean, the, the song is out there. The the streaming numbers are, are blowing up, uh, surprising you even the way that fans are, are still there, still love the X's music. Now that it's there, are you going to just kind of let it ride? Maybe see if you get some radio airplay also? Uh, maybe do... What, do you, what would you like the ultimate for this song to kind of leave its legacy, if you will, when it's all said and done? Well, I think that because everything is so not expected right now with this, um, nothing is off the table. We are getting some radio love now and some people are sniffing around. So, you know, we're going to, we're going to go after it. I am going to, I'll, I'll give you an exclusive here, Lloyd. All right. We're going to do more songs. Okay, great. It's going to happen. Shows are not off the table but it's just one thing at a time here and you know i i'm like i said i've I've been overwhelmed by the outpour of uh, the reconnection of this song and i think people are really feeling this lyric um at this time i know that i was at the time that i wrote it It, this song kind of saved me um and i think it's and i think i think it has a message to, to to try to keep your your spirits up when things are feel, you know, at their worst and that there's always a way out. And uh, you just sometimes have to, you have to get through that, you know, and even pre-COVID, I I felt like everyone was just kind of in that negative doldrums, if you will. And then COVID hits and it just felt like we're still on that downward thing, just waiting to hit bottom so we can start bouncing back. And I I think a song like Spirits High is is definitely something that can get us on that path, man. Yeah. Thank you very much, man. It's my heart. So I hope the people out there that, that, 
when you when you play it, I hope they feel it and uh, just know there's more there's more coming. We're gonna spin it. We're definitely gonna be behind it, man. Now you're living you're in L.A. right? Or are you in Nashville? I'm in both places. It uh, depends. I have a I have a place out there in Nashville yeah. uh, because sometimes I am I'm stuck on a record for. Oh, I mean, when I did Stap, I was off and on five months. Okay. So I got to have a place to, because just renting, a, it gets too expensive. Right. So um, my wife and I bought a place out there and, and I use it as, I mean, half the year I'm there, half the year I'm here. Well, cool. So. Well, man, it's been great catching up with you, Scott. And uh, I, every time I'm around you, which hasn't been that much in the last 20 years, only twice that uh, we've actually spoke face to face. But uh, I've learned a lot today, man. And I hope that uh, moving forward, we can do some more stuff together. And uh, I've definitely enjoyed talking with you today. Definitely enjoy talking with you, Lloyd. I would love to do this again. Let's uh, keep the journey going, man.